Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome to Hoop Du Jour with me, Peter Vesey, presented by the National Basketball Retired Players Association. Hi, welcome to Hoop Du Jour, part two with Pat Williams, uh, who got plenty of introduction in part one. And if you haven't seen part one I, or haven't heard it, you, I suggest strongly you do that because he had a lot of good stuff to say. So we're going we're gonna to continue right now on part two. Pat, welcome. You're looking, you're looking real good. Pete, it's always nice to be on with you. Uh, in the old days, mm. uh, we, we just did did it by phone, and and to be uh, listed as a little note in Hoop Du Jour in the New York Times. <laughs> oh, that was that was the ultimate. Was that the, was the ultimate. Huh? <laughs> oh, so it's nice nice to be on with you always and uh, talk about. Uh, well, it's your favorite subject, Pete. You're you're a baseball guy at heart, but. Uh, uh, you've you've made your mark in the world of professional basketball, and so I'm uh, I'm your humble servant today, Pete. You know, I you 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 started in baseball and played it, and then it was in management and the whole thing. But how upset were you? Uh, Maury Wills died. Oh, Pete, uh, <laughs> I've got to tell you a little story. Uh, That's you, what we're here for. You collect stories. Yes. I certainly knew who Murray Wills was. I was a baseball fan. I, in fact, I had him sign a book for me when his book came out. But we're back some years, Pete. Uh, and I had a speaking engagement in uh, Las Vegas. And as it turns out, the, the event was baseball themed. And uh, this company it was an insurance company. They had uniforms for everybody. Uh, they brought in five or six uh, former major leaguers, big time players rolling fingers and so forth to dress and manage and coach these two teams that were there for this convention. Well, uh, knowing of my interest in baseball, I got to, I got to play for one of the teams and uh, guess who my manager was? Murray Wills. It was Murray, it was Murray Wills. Right. Right. And, and Pete, I, I came away, um, I came away, you know, it was not just, as it turns out, not just this little game between a bunch of old schleppers, you know, it, it was, it, it was for blood. And, and there was Mari Wills coaching this game and, and managing it like it was the seventh game of the World Series. Right. And I mean, intense. I mean, he was in up on the dugout step and he was into everything with these, these old guys. You know? Right. And I came away. Uh, I came away from that experience, uh, always remembering that. But it just drove home the point of the intense competitive nature of all of these great athletes. Uh, they're, they're different. Right. Uh, they're, not the, they're, not, they're not the same as you and me. Yeah. Uh, they, they, they compete intensely. Uh, they have a, a, 
they never lose that desire to win. And uh, I, I, that was 20, gosh, this whole thing was 20, had to be 25 years ago. But I've, I've, I've never forgotten playing. I got to play that day for Marty Wills, my manager. How about that? And boy, was right. he, he was, he was into that game with these old guys with the uniforms didn't fit right. And there we were. Yeah. And I don't want to, I, oh. I don't want to go too long on baseball, but you know, but uh, you know, I, I was astounded to read that he spent eight years in the minors before getting into the Dodgers uniform and was even traded for a while to to Detroit to see what right Detroit to see if he was good enough to make their team and they cut him a guy named a manager named Norman cut him said uh, he, he did great in the tryout I mean it, it was spring training and he did great but he cut him he, he kept he kept somebody whose name I, I you know it was, na- was a name but he was a mediocre player anyway I, I was just shocked eight years my goodness, where, what would his statistics have been if he made it four or five years earlier? Well, Pete, I don't think he probably was ready uh, four or five years early. First of all, uh, down in that level, he learned how to be a switch hitter. Uh, that was a big part of what happened. Hmm. Uh, I, I think it, it, it ultimately it's a confidence thing. And I think he began to believe in himself. And so when the Dodgers brought him up, when he got his opportunity... He was more than ready. He was more than ready. He paid his dues. He, he knew the game inside out. He knew what it took to be successful. And Pete, he learned how to steal bases, which is an art, uh, which has been lost these days. We don't see that like back in that day. Anytime Mari Wills got on base, uh, he was, uh, in his mind, he was already on second base because he'd already stolen it. Yeah. Oh, I, loved, was- I loved watching him take a lead. <laughs> I loved it. Steps, and you knew he was going to run. He, uh, he was a, a, a gifted infielder. He battled through uh, drug and alcohol problems, Pete, which uh, had a big impact on him. Yeah. But he came through that, and uh, and then his son Bump ends up becoming a big league ball player as well. It's quite yeah. a it's a wonderful baseball story. Right. I I uh, spent a lot of time out in Arizona, and I was out there in 2019, and I checked around. I heard he was in Sedona, and I was in Scottsdale, and I and I almost reached out to the Dodgers, Stan Caston, you know, a good friend of ours, sure, sure. running the Dodgers, and I almost reached out to him. And then, you know, as I said to people since, I said, you know what happens at, at our age? It just slipped my mind. That's wow. <laughs> <laughs> the end of that, you know. Well, Pete, of all the things written about Mari, the, the story that uh, touched me the uh, deepest was his uh, indebtedness to Don Newcomb. Uh, yes. Nuke had a major alcohol problem, but he got through it and then went to work to uh, rectify and help other uh, players, yes. other people with that problem. And he knew, uh, Nuke knew that uh, Mari Wills was off on the wrong side of the deep end. And, and Mari said, I give all the credit to Don Newcomb. He chased me everywhere, ran me down. He wouldn't. He wouldn't let up uh, because yes. he knew I had a problem, and uh, he he had great, great uh, admiration and gratefulness to to Don Newcomb. Uh, I got I got to meet Don. Uh, I flew out to L.A. specifically to interview Don Newcomb. Called him up from New York. Said I'd like to come out. He said 
He said, George Vesey? I said, no, no, that's my brother. <laughs> <laughs> and my brother was writing a book on Stan Musial at the time. And, yes, it just, I and it just interviewed him about that. But anyway, I, I spent four hours with him. And uh, one of the things that stands out in my mind is what we're just talking about. He told me that if it wasn't for his alcohol problem, no, he, he actually said, if I wasn't a drunk and mm. and I, I had beaten the Yankees at least once, he said he was 0-4 against the Yankees in the World Series, he said, I'd be in the Hall of Fame. Mm. Fact is, he probably deserves to be there anyway. I mean, he won the MVP in a, in a uh, uh, Cy Young Award the first time it was given out. He, he won both of them. And, and, and he, he, uh, he, he, he was one of the greatest hitting pitchers in the history of baseball. Yeah. And uh, yeah. his numbers probably fall short, but he would be the first to tell you that he messed his life up. He messed his career up. And he did. He told me some unbelievable stories, which, you know, we'll talk about some other time. I have one more baseball thing to say to you, right? So <laughs> you'll get a kick out of this, I think. So I'm at the Hall of Fame last week. And um, I walk into a room and, and there's Charles Barkley uh, at, at the, uh, uh, the, the blackjack table. Now, that, that, that wasn't a surprise, but it was <laughs> the surprise was he called me over. And, uh, you know, we have a we've had a, a hate hate relationship most of most of my his career, most of his life, actually. So um, anyway, I went over there, but I'm not going to get into that part of it. But sitting at the table next to him was a young girl. And I don't remember her first name, but I know her last name. And it's Drysdale. Oh, my. She was Don Drysdale's daughter. She is Don Drysdale's daughter. She got out of UCLA maybe a year or two ago. And so she's friends with Barkley through her mom. You know, they're both Arizona people. And um, I told her a story. I'm going to tell you, which, you know, blew her mind. I said, I happen to be at one of the most unbelievable games ever played. Um, I was in the army out at Fort Ord in California. And I went to my brother was working for Newsday. He got me, me and a few of my friends tickets to a Dodger Giants game. We're not supposed to go more than 50 miles away from the from the base, but we, we did. And uh, so we go there and it's Marischal versus Koufax. Mm, mm, mm. 65. And you know what happened? That was the game where Marischal got angry at angry when Roseboro whizzed the ball back past his ear at Colfax, and he hit him with the bat, which, you know, the whole the whole park went nuts. I lost both my contact lenses. I was like, <laughs> I, was, I, went, I went berserk. And I'm and I told the daughter, I said, and I'm waiting for your father to straighten everybody out. You know, number 53, where is he? I'm, I'm looking for him. I'm saying to my friends, can you see number 53? I couldn't see anything anymore. And no, he's not there. And I, I said, well, later on, he goes, you know, he's a tough guy, tough guy. So I, I was expecting him to come out and level people. So after the game, I called my brother and I said, well, where was Drysdale? And he said he was sent back to New York before because he was going to open the series against the Mets. And I told her that, and she just loved hearing it because she didn't know. She wondered why her father didn't go out and kick some ass. 
<laughs> Peter, now here, here's a trivia question for you. <laughs> yeah. Who, who was the home plate umpire that day uh, who had to deal with all of this mess that was going on around home plate? Do you know who, who, who was umpiring behind the plate? I have no idea. His name was Shag Crawford. Shag Crawford. Oh, the father of Joey. Who, and Jerry, the and major Jerry. umpire. Joey, Joey Crawford's dad was behind the plate. Oh, my goodness. Dad Crawford. There's a trivia. That's, that's, that, a that's great. Oh, that's great. More than, um, any, more than any other sport, uh, uh, trivia, uh, baseball trivia. You don't, you don't hear about basketball trivia. Uh, football trivia, not really. It's, it's always baseball. There's a trivia for you. Shag Crawford. Um, I, right, well, I'm, I'm going to give you, I interviewed, uh, I'm going to give you a piece of basketball trivia. Okay. So last, last week I interviewed Isaiah Thomas for this podcast. And I, and I said to him, nobody, nobody remembers that you got traded to the Knicks at the end of your Pistons career. And he goes, yeah, I did. He said, and I, I turned it down. I, I, I said, do you remember who you were traded for? Do you and he came up with one name. Do you remember <coughs> Pete? First of all, <coughs> you've you've shocked me. Isaiah Thomas was traded to the Knicks. Yeah. Yes. And, and yet Isaiah had the right to turn it. He had a no trade. He no, he, he retired. Uh, he, he retired. retired. He, he he retired. He was only about 32, right? Exactly. And that's that was and the it, point of it, you know. But he said he had, he showed me he had a fused, fused hand, wrist. And he he had torn his Achilles the previous year or something, so he was a mess, and so he had other reasons why he quit. But so so you don't know. So he came up with Tony Campbell, and I looked it up, or I had my friend my friend Jay look it up because that's what he <laughs> does great. And uh, so Tony Campbell was one of them. The other guy was Tim McCormick. Oh yes, and it was a number <clears throat> one pick. And the number one pick turned out to be, you ready? Monty Williams. <laughs> I love That's it. That's who the Knicks <clears throat> took. <laughs> so, <laughs> Pete, here's a trivia for you. I love, I love that stuff. <laughs> what was Tony Campbell's uniform number? Oh, no. I, no, I'm not big on numbers. Never, I, never I knew, seen I knew the Dodger numbers. <laughs> a, a, a double zero. Was it? Oh, okay. Go, go check that one out. See if I'm mm-hmm. right. Double he's zero. Good, he's a good player. All right, we're gonna we're gonna jump into stay in basketball right now. I I want to before I I get into uh, some of your your uh, most most uh, well known things that you've done. I just I just want to say, have you ever given up on anything in your life? Have you ever said no, can't do it, moving on? Uh, Pete, that's a great question. I I don't think I've ever thought of that, but probably not. Uh, when opportunities presented themselves, either in uh, <clears throat> sports moves or uh, writing projects or speaking or uh, trying to bring an expansion basketball team to a tiny little Florida city years ago. Yeah, I, 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 I think my attitude is, yes, let's. Um, did you ever give well, up on Pete, a player? Let me tell you. Uh, I tried not to. Um, I tried not to. You wanted to see them uh, to the end. Uh, one of the great problems in sports, Pete, and you, we just we talked about it with Mari Wills. Uh, you tend to give up on a player too soon, and uh, that's why. Uh, and and by the way, there is nothing more embarrassing 
you know, in, in the world as a sports executive to make a decision on a player too early. And then you wake up and you start reading headlines. Oh boy, he just went for 32 points last night. Or uh, this kid we tra traded, gosh, he was three for five with two doubles and then hit a home. And you're thinking, oh boy, oh boy, that's. Uh, th 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 Did that, that ever happen to you as a as a uh, basketball executive? Did you yeah, ever trade somebody? I, I don't. I don't think so. I don't think so. I think we uh, we had a few guys that went out and had uh, Billy Ray Bates. Remember him? He, he we was. And he ends up in Portland and for had a, had a run there where he suddenly didn't last. But uh, that would probably be the closest one. We had him in our camp and then cut him. And mm -hmm. but he ended up with a nice run in Portland. But so I've uh, I've learned, Pete, uh, you know, hang on to them, you know, because you just never know. Unless, unless, uh, and the magic word here, Pete, first round draft picks. And you know what's just shocking to me in basketball today? They're throwing first-round picks around like they were horseshoes. Yeah, well, wait, wait, what do you want? Three, three first-rounders? Well, we'll give you four. Now, you know, I, I always felt, uh, hang on to your picks, hang on to your firsts. They're too much fun. I mean, the 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 the, the, the only fun time of the year in basketball was the draft. Yeah, <laughs> everything else was, you know, your heart's in your throat and your you're grinding it out, but boy, that getting ready for the draft and the excitement of the draft and then the post-draft when you've solved all your problems. But if you don't have picks, uh, your scouts, you know, are miserable. And Yeah, I, I totally agree. Totally agree with you, except totally I, picks. I understand, Pat, I understand that this is the, this is the world we live in. It's instant gratification and Ooh. teams teams are trying to win as much as possible quickly at least they should I mean, it's a lot of times they should be i think mark cuban when after he won the championship beat miami he didn't he didn't stay with that he he decided to break up his team instead of going for more championships but yeah no i i, I don't so many so many but you were in you were involved in in a uh, a huge a huge uh let's see it was my it was uh orlando and um and golden state so how many draft picks were involved in that? Well, that was that was three. Here, here's what that was the '93 <clears throat> draft. We had gotten Shaq the year before, and in miraculous fashion, uh, with one ping pong ball out of '66. Uh, although they didn't, that, that it was pretty simple. You could understand it. Just, just we just had one out of '66. Incredible. And, and sitting there at that table, and and suddenly at eleven. Uh, our number uh, is not turned over. Our logo is not turned over. Should have been, but it wasn't. And down, down, down we go. And uh, all of a sudden, there we are. We, we'd, we'd gone back to back, uh, number one picks. Now, that was the Chris Webber draft. Uh, Sean Bradley. Remember those names? And, sure, he went number one, yeah. And uh, this guy, Penny Hardaway. Well, we brought them all in. We worked them out. And uh, and the day, two days before the draft, we, we hear from Penny. He said, no, you guys aren't going to take me, but you should. He said, I'll do whatever you want. Uh, what, what do I have to do? I'll come back down. I'll give you another workout. I'll, and, and we brought him down again two days before the draft. Couldn't do that today. 
and we 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 had a skins on shirts game. We had got all a bunch of our old players around and locked the doors to the gym, and off they went for an hour. And and Penny was just magnificent, magnificent. And we said, well, let we better let let let's do him. And and Don Nelson of the Warriors was desperate for a big guy. He he he'd have taken Bradley, he'd have taken Chris Webber. So we cut a deal the night before the draft. Uh, we'll, um, we'll, we'll, uh, take Weber for you. Uh, you take, you take, uh, Hardaway for us with your third pick. And, and in the meantime, to do that, well, we want three future firsts and we got them. Wow. Three future firsts, which at the time, Pete was unheard of. That's what I'm saying. You, you were way ahead of your time in there. Unheard of, but, but now, now we've seen, We've seen the Timberwolves. We've seen, uh, you know, that potential. Cleveland, Cleveland, yeah. Cleveland, Donovan Mitchell to the Knicks and all that. Well, we're, well, I can't give you four, but we'll give you three future. Pete, I, I scream out, hold on to your picks. <laughs> all right, two things, two things. You They're remember who, who the other picks turned into for you in Orlando? Well, one of them turned out to be Mike Miller. Nice. Who was the who ended up being the rookie of the year? Nice and wow. had a long career. He would have probably been the best that came out of that. Do you and remember the others? I can't. I, Pete, I can't. I, okay. I, I, I think we threw one into a deal somewhere or other. But yeah. uh, but Mike Miller was the was the best that came out of that. And uh, and, and gosh, Mike Miller must have played for fifteen years. And, and Penny uh, and Penny was pretty good till he got hurt. That's for sure. He, People forget, uh, Peter, how good Penny was. Uh, he was magnificent. He could do it all. And he and Shaq for a few years were a dynamic duo. But then when we when in the summer of 96, when Shaq leaves, suddenly Penny, who was a wonder, I, uh, Penny's role always was as a number two guy. Suddenly the franchise is, is uh, mounted up on his back. Uh, which was a, a huge, huge task, and uh, and then his knees went out. One one knee, one year. A year later, the other knee, and he was never the same. Right. Uh, he at that point, Pete, he was probably mid twenties when right. all that started happening, and he hung on for quite a while, you know. But he was never the same. He was, he, he was just an average player. But okay. in those early, early years, Pete, he was uh, he, he was something to behold. He was well. Let player. me let me. Uh, um, tell you what I did. So in 96, they've got the top 50 all-time players, and I had a vote in that, and I was very proud to have a vote in that. And um, two, of the, two of the guys that I voted for, and I, I released who I voted for in, in the New York Post, and two of the guys that I voted for were Shaq and Penny. Ah, I had seen enough of both. Now, I got killed for both of them, uh, as it turns out, you know, Penny got hurt, and so I was wrong about Penny. But Shaq, I believe I, I was correct about. And and for that same reason, uh, when they had the top 75 and I had a vote again, I also voted into the future. I voted for Nicola, and I voted for, you know, Joker, and I voted for Luca. I voted for them because I've seen enough. They're That's great. Right. I mean, what, what do we have to do? We got we got to go into the hereafter before we figure it out. So so anyway, I I, I was a penny guy. I, I I remained a penny guy his whole career because I really loved 
how, how he was a stand-up guy. Anytime I asked him a tough question, he would give me an honest answer. And I, and I, I love him to this day. I love him for that. Um, you're- well, Peter's gone on, and he's, he's, he's built, building that program at uh, his alma mater, Memphis. And uh, he's going to get it done eventually. He's able to recruit. He's get, he, he gets great players in there. They all end up going in the few first, first round. Uh, eventually, he's going to get it done there. But uh, right. we, we, well, we, we root for him. We root for him. Pat, we, Pat, you know, what I'm specifically talking about him being honest was, you know, I broke the story uh, about Brian Hill being being uh, voted out, quote unquote, by the players. And, and, and Penny was the leader of the team. They had a they had a meeting the previous night of a game that was on NBC and uh, I got the word that they had voted him out. And, um, and then I got verification before the game on television. And we did it after that game. And I remember Matty Gukas, your guy, who coached Orlando and played, played at Philly on the championship 67 team. Um, he was doing the game with Marv. And both of them were like, no, that that's, can't be true. Just, so here we are live on television. <laughs> and they're arguing with me. They're, they're knocking down my story. And, uh, you know, Maddie said, I, I would have heard about it. And I said, well, obviously, they didn't want anybody to hear about it. So you didn't hear about it. And Marv's agreeing with him. So as we know, it happened. But my point is, when it all came out, um, you know, a year later, soon after, I don't even remember exactly. And, and I would, people went to Penny. I went to Penny. And he admitted his role. He admitted it. He didn't. He didn't say no, man. I didn't vote for him. You know, no, no, I wasn't the leader of that. But there were other people in that room. Oh, it, was, it wasn't him that just voted. It was all the players. Brian Shaw was in that room, you know. So anyway, he never shied away from it. I I so respected him for that. Yeah, he was a stand-up guy, and um, he was not uh, the easiest guy to coach. Uh, Penny was very sensitive. Uh, to sensitive to criticism, uh, you you didn't uh, you didn't want to yell at Penny. He he was one of those guys. Each player is different. You did you couldn't yell at Penny. He didn't take that well. I think that and I think that's probably uh, been a, a wonderful experience back then for how he's coaching today. Mm-hmm. I don't think I don't think Penny is a yeller. I don't think he screams. He um, he seems to be uh, very understanding of his young players and he screams at the media. Yeah, well, he's he, he, he's gone off the. But Pete, that's, I can't blame him for that. I'd be screaming at them too. But. Yeah, we, that that's your world, you know. That's your world. But, yeah. <laughs> yeah, Pat, backtrack a little bit. You talking about draft picks that you that you uh, traded and and got great players for? Give me give me a couple draft picks that you put out there that you got. I'm thinking about one off the top of my head. In Philly, well, uh, in Philly. Well, Pete, uh, we wanted to collect extra picks. I always felt that if you could have a surplus of picks, in other words, if you had a surplus of players and then you could trade them for picks, you know, you you could uh, you could build a club that way. So uh, back in the mid-70s, when I got back to Philly, uh, we began to collect picks. 
And we traded this guy or that guy. And the end result was that's how we got um, Mo Cheeks. That's how we got Andrew Tony. That's how we got Clint Richardson. Oh, um, and one and one more. And, that, and that's how we got Charles Barkley. And, that's and Lloyd how, Free. And Lloyd Free. Well, Lloyd, Lloyd, that was our own pick. Pete, that's a, that's a whole other story. It was, it was your and own I'll, pick? And I'll and I'll, I'll tell you that that was this was this uh, this was my first draft back in Philly. It's the seventy four seventy five season. Right. Uh, we we uh, we desperately needed a center. We began because Moses had gone into the pros the year before, and he did well, very well. So we kept thinking, is there another is there another guy like that? Well, uh, we decided it was Daryl Dawkins from Maynard Evans High School in Orlando. But, and Bill Cartwright was the other center, but there was this wonderful young forward uh, from uh, North Jersey by the name of Bill Willoughby. His nickname was Poodles. And, uh, and, and we, uh, I, I, I must have made the run up there to see him play in high school half a dozen times, Pete. And, uh, but so now it's, uh, we're getting ready for the, just before the draft period. And we made a commitment to Daryl. We were going to take him with the fifth pick. And he had an agent. Uh, Willoughby had an, an advisor named uh, Chuck Kaufman. And and uh, and Chuck kept calling me. Well, Bill wants to go into the pros. I said, Chuck, the best we can do is uh, ink him to a pact and we'll take him on the second round. Well, that was good enough. And so that was our strategy before the 75 draft. Dawkins with the fifth pick. Early second pick could be Willoughby. <laughs> and so we took Daryl. <clears throat> and then, Pete, the, the pick before us on the second round, they had never seen him, but the Atlanta Hawks take Bill Willoughby. Right. And, 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 and the next player on our checklist is one Lloyd Frey from Guilford College. And so we took him. Right. We had a little I could, advantage. I could have sworn that you got that pick some somewhere else, somehow else. But that was our own. That was our own pick. But we okay. uh, right. We we kept collecting those picks, and you know, eventually we traded free. And I think we I told you that story. We we collect. We we traded free for a future first from the Clippers, and as it turns out, that ended up being Charles Barkley. So maybe so, that's maybe that's so, what I'm thinking about. But, okay. That's why I. Um, I, I, I say uh, to young executives, hold on to your picks. Hold on to them. Yeah, you may not get where you want to right now, but you, 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 can, you can build different ways, but primarily you've got to build through the draft. I don't care what the sport is. You've got so, to build. So, so, Pat, that, that Barkley, Barkley is in the draft with, with Jordan, with, with uh, Akeem, mm. Bowie, Perkins, those are the first five, right? Not in that order. So that's that's the draft. And how close did the 76ers come, if at all, to getting Charles Barkley in that draft, trading trading the pick with, with the Bulls? Because I know I know Billy Cunningham, Billy Cunningham wanted that pick. He wanted the pick. He wanted to take Jordan. And you guys were offering, I believe the number five pick and somebody else. Correct? Well, I thought Rod Thorne was the GM of the bulls and he, right. he, he was uh, fielding calls from everybody as you do at that time of year. And uh, Rod, I'm sure. And I spoke a number of times. 
Um, but but there was never anything really that uh, was was hot. Pete, that was that was uh, an amazing year because we had that pick sitting and waiting for six years mm. with the Clippers. Mm. We made the deal in '78, and now it's '84, six years down the road, and and it's about to come due. And and the Clippers were the Clippers, and uh, and and they were in the coin for the, still had the coin flip then. They were in the coin flip the entire season. We were going to be uh, flipping one or two until Houston. Absolutely, they were the first known team to fully tank, and they they tanked big time. And uh, all of a sudden, uh, that flip we were in. Because Houston knocked out the Clippers for the worst pick, and and we dropped from the coin flipping <laughs> one night to the fifth pick. Oh, that's funny. That's oh, we were upset. Not that funny. Yeah, Devis, I, I think Devis. that was the worst the worst year of Del Harris's coaching career because they did tank. They, you know, the owner said, you know, you're not going to well, win. Bill, Bill Fitch was coaching Houston, Pete, and and he was and, coaching them then. So what am I thinking about the Samson? The Samson. Well, he had, they, and in '83 they won the flip and they got Samson. Okay. <clears throat> and now it's '84 and they're struggling and and they 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 fully tanked. I mean, now the, the coverage of the media wasn't like it is today, but they just went right down. And and it was so flagrant that in the owners' meetings that summer of '85, '84, like that, like that. The coin flip was gone, and the lottery was instituted in uh, no, no no task force, no study, no nothing. Boom! Call it the Houston rule, and that was no, that interesting. was summer of '84. And then you'll recall the first lottery was ne the next spring of '85. That was the famous Patrick Ewing, right? Uh, uh, lottery uh, first one. Right. And, and so uh, <clears throat> we we were debating in those uh, uh, halcyon days. That's a good word, Peter. Love that word. Yeah. Uh, and we, we were debating, well, uh, how about Elijah one in the middle for the next 20 years? Yeah, that would be pretty, pretty cool. But this kid, Jordan, you know, we, and I remember I remember one of our scouts <laughs> said, well, if we got Jordan, you know he could back up Julius at the three, and he could and he could uh, he could back up Andrew Tony at the two. <laughs> you know he 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 he'd fit in there nicely in one of those two roles. You know nobody everybody liked Michael, no question. But were they were they absolutely smitten in love? I don't not really. Um, but uh, Pete have often thought what what would we have done? Well, <clears throat> I think the answer probably is this. Uh, Dean Smith had such a hold on, on his uh, former players, everybody in, in his world. And I think at the end of the day, he, he'd have been leaning on, on Billy Cunningham. He'd have been leaning hard. Uh, and, 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 and Dean's former players did, did not want to disappoint him. Right. Uh, they they always wanted to please their coach, and I think at the end of the day, if we had been in that coin flip, and if we had won it, I'll tell you this: we would not have taken Sam Bowie. Right. 
Um, we, we, if so, if, if, if Houston goes to large one, which they did, we, we, and we had this and we'd lost the coin flip, uh, Michael and Julius would have been teammates. How about that? Michael and, um, uh, Bobby Jones would have been teammates. Uh, Michael and Moses would have been teammates. It's fun to think about. Right. But right. we, but boy, in one night, Pete, on the last weekend, uh, the, the Clippers won and Houston were lost like they're 19th out of 20. Uh, Elvin Hayes played 53 minutes in overtime. And Elvin at that point was almost in a wheelchair. <laughs> and, and they played him, I think, 53 minutes down the stretch. And, it was uh, a workhorse, yeah. But, 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 but that was not a workhorse, Peter. That was a, to, to, to solidify this tank job. Yeah. That was, well, a central, that was a Central Park horse. <laughs> so there they are. So the Twin Towers come to Houston in 84. Samson and Olajuwon. Didn't work. It did not work. And then Ralph, Ralph had leg problems, and he moved on eventually. Yeah. And, uh, and, and they just they turned the club over to Olajuwon. And, and may we never forget Pete. Uh, what a what a marvelous player Olajuwon was! What a, what a wonderful player! He, he he was he was great. But I I always take the stand that uh, Moses Malone had a better career and, and taught oh, what team taught Akeem the ropes down yeah. in Houston when he was going to college and you know much longer career and uh, you know just I, I'm a Moses guy first, but I I respect Akeem and all that, but. Um, how how did you how did you get Moses away from Houston? Well, Pete, um, it's quite a story. Uh, there's always a story involved, isn't there? I, I but, love uh, the stories. Yeah, but I I um, I told you I, I had uh, I left for a, a trip to uh, mainland China in the in the August of uh, well, that would be eighty two. Julius went, other NBA players went. The first time into mainland China it was a huge trip. While I was gone, um, they, they, they traded Daryl Dawkins to New Jersey. And then realized, <laughs> Harold Katz in his, in his thinking said, oh, we don't have a center. We just traded our center. And Moses was a free agent floating around out there. Nothing had happened. Mm. And he, uh, he, he uh, Harold got a hold of Billy, and they frantically worked through the night and got a hold of. Well, so let me. Harold Katz is the owner, and uh-huh. Billy, and Billy is involved in this trade. Billy's on the golf course down at Pinehurst, <laughs> and, and and they've got to they've got to get him back up to Philadelphia immediately, mm-hmm. uh, because big things are stewing, stirring here. And uh, long story short, uh, it was a $13 million deal, Pete, for what, five years? Uh, it was unheard of, unprecedented. And, uh, and, and so, uh, that, so he signed. Now, in those days, you had to compensate the other team. And if you couldn't agree to do it, the, the commissioner would do it. Uh, you didn't want to take those chances. <clears throat> so we had a chance to... Um, close this out and I was negotiating I was back from the trip negotiating with uh, Houston and we had we had agreed that we were gonna have to give up Caldwell Jones and a future first and 
trust me, Pete, to trade a first. I mean, it made me sick, you know, but we, we, we were too far down the road, except we had a huge problem. When Moses found out that Caldwell Jones was not going to be in Philly with him, right? Moses, can't do this. I'm not going to do it. Not going to do it. You know, I'm not. So I had to get a hold of Harold. Harold came down and sat down. Moses, Moses, you, you got to understand. You know, we, we, we got to give up something. We can't get you for nothing. It wasn't like free agency today. So, Pete, that's what happened. And uh, and and uh, the training camp starts. And boy, our, our guys, are they know this is going to be a big year. And it was perfect season. Nobody got hurt. Had no losing streaks. Won every game by 20 points. Never had a close game. Oh, it was something. But Pete, the, the, the people ask me, what do you most remember about that season? I'll tell you what I most remember. It was the parade down Broad Street. <laughs> the overdue parade. <laughs> yeah, the overdue parade, which, which which we hoped to have for 10 years. But we find <laughs> parade in the city of Philadelphia, turns out, and by the hundreds of thousands, if not millions. And we were all on flatbedded trucks. Different players were on different trucks. And so as that, 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 that procession comes around City Hall and now starts heading down on South Broad Street, it's lunchtime. And uh, there's a construction crew up here on the right. And as Moses' uh, truck comes by, uh, these workers all stand and hold up their lunch pails. <laughs> lunch, he's a lunch pail guy. Yeah. They, 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 they hold up their lunch pails in, in <laughs> honor of Moses. Oh, that's great. <laughs> and and Mo, but Moses was known as, as a lunch pail guy. Yes, yes. You know, he just put his head down. He worked every night and he banged out 20 rebounds and led the league in sweat. Now, that's another thing I remember, Pete. It was before you had these fancy sweat things. It was just ball boys with towels. You know, if he'd go to the free throw line and standing there, the whole lane would be sopped with water. Oh, uh, he, he, he was he was sweating profusely on the layup line before the game. <laughs> well, th that that doesn't surprise me, Pete. He yeah. he was he was he was a worker. He didn't say much. He just just came did his job. And and the big concern, uh, Pete, the big concern at the start, uh, Billy's big concern. Um, <clears throat> how would uh, how would Doc and uh, Moses get along? How would they relate? Uh, because it was Doc's team, and so they brought Moses in and uh, presented that to him. And uh, <laughs> Moses, Moses just said, um, "This is Doc's team. This is Doc's team." He said, "I'm I'm, I'm just here to help Doc. Uh, I'm I'm here to help Doc get his get his get his ring." He said, "I'm great respect, great respect. This, yeah. this is Doc's team." Well, that was enough. You know, that was all Billy sure. needed to hear. Sure. Pat, you, you know, you talk about compensation that the league would give would give a team if you couldn't arrive at a at a, uh, a deal, and uh, I, I go back to a little trivia here: when the Knicks when the Knicks signed Marvin Webster after the seventy uh, seven seventy eight season, they had to give up compensation to Seattle, and uh, I, I forget exactly who was the Kansas City guy who was at the league office, he came up with this compensation. Who was that, Pat? Oh, Joe, Joe Axelson. 
Bill Axelson was the was the guy at the league that came up with this, and he came up with, uh, okay, Lonnie Shelton, um, $450,000 and a number one pick. And as we all know, Shelton went on and helped the Sionics win a championship the next year. So they took it to court. The Knicks took it to court. They thought it was too much. And uh, I think, I believe the uh, the the judge or whatever he was, mediator, he said, okay, not get back to 450. Do you know who the number one pick was of the Sonics that they got from the Knicks? Oh, Pete, that's a uh, tough one. I'll give it to you. We, downtown we Freddie Brown. I mean, I, yeah, close, close, close. Vinnie Johnson. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> How about from that? Ba- from Baylor. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, from New York. From New and York. how did Vinny Johnson end up in Detroit, by the way, Pete? Well, I think I, I'm not exactly sure. It, but, it was a uh, trade. What, what yeah, else? but I it mean, was, not that the Knicks would have taken Vinny. They would they would have taken, you know, uh, Bob Johnson, who played. <laughs> but Pete, that's <laughs> how that, that's how Vinny ended up in Detroit. One-on-one trade, uh, Greg Kelser. Oh, is that it? Was that how it goes, goes to Seattle? So, so uh, bad trade by Seattle. So, Pete, speaking of the Knicks, let, let me take you back. Let me take you back to 1975. Uh, we had, um, I, I, I think I've got the right year. Uh, we, yeah, I think so. George uh, McGinnis, right? George McGinnis. So, so, so the Sixers had drafted McGinnis a couple years ahead. They had his draft rights, second round pick. And so now uh, his contract is coming up with Indiana and the other league. And all of a sudden, a story breaks. The Knicks have signed George McGinnis. And, and we're thinking in Philly, wait a minute. <laughs> I think we have his draft rights. What, what, what is going on here? Yeah. Well, there was a transition of, of commissioners. Walter Kennedy was bowing out. <clears throat> Larry O'Brien was coming into office. Yeah. And I think the Knicks thought maybe we could sneak this one through here. No, I think Mike Burke, who was the president of the team, was so arrogant that he felt he could do anything he wanted. To well, do. I think there was that's kind of the New York state of mind, right? Yeah. And so, and so now, uh, I never will forget the league meetings. Uh, Larry O'Brien's first meeting, and this this McGinnis thing is sitting right on his desk, and and the world is waiting. Well, <clears throat> a few days later, the word comes down. The contract is nullified between New York and and uh, McGinnis. Uh, there's a million dollar fine, and we're taking away a first round pick. <laughs> and and so that uh, we're, we're so McGinnis, and that's how George finally ended up in Philly. You know, we got him signed. His agent was a lovable guy named Erwin Weiner. Yeah, Doctor I. And, uh, never will forget Erwin Weiner. And Julius Irving's agent also. Yes, he was. And, and Billy Walt, Cunningham's too. And Walt Frazier. And Walt Frazier. But I mean, I'm talking to the Philly connection here. Yeah. Yeah. So so, so we we signed George and uh, brought him to Philly. Started the advertising campaign. By George, we've got it. Yeah. <laughs> or how about this? Let George do it. Yeah. Well, uh, the next year, Pete, the next year. Is, is the merger of the two leagues. And, you know, we have we talked about Julius in coming to Philly? 
but yes. but uh, but uh, but I re- we were playing an exhibition game at the garden, and this the Irving the, the Irving thing was beginning to heat up, and and I had to pull George aside. I said, George, we've got a chance to get Julius Irving. We got a chance. I just want to talk to you first, and uh, keep it quiet. But I just want to get your thoughts. Probably put George in an unfair position. What's he get? Say. Yeah, but you were honest with him, so that that. But I, I, I went to him and just told him, just so that. Yeah. Because they were they. Let's remember in the ABA, those were the two titans. <clears throat> these two young forwards, McGinnis and MVPs, MVPs, both of them. Yeah. yeah, and 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 at that point, there was a debate about who was the greatest, who was going to be the greatest. Those two. I mean, it was a toss-up. If you had 10 basketball people, you'd probably get a 5-5 split. Right. Well, there was one There was one great difference. Uh, Julius loved to play. play. Uh, George didn't. Uh, George uh, never really, didn't have to, never really worked on his game, worked on his weekends, weaknesses. Julius did. Um, I think George liked the life, but uh, Julius loved it. All, all, all that went with it, right? And Julius never beat. He never. He was like Joe DiMaggio. Remember Joe? Way back, Joe would say, "I, I have to play every game. Some little kid may never see me play again. I got to give my best performance." Right. <clears throat> Julius never took a night off. Yep. Never, never took a night and say, "I, I need, uh, I need rest or whatever they call it today." You yeah. Know, body, body load, load management. <laughs> when you hear Julius saying, uh, you know, some kid, the family saved up their money for two years to come see him play. And the announcement is made, Julius is uh, not dressing tonight. He's, uh, <laughs> he, he's body management. <laughs> never, never. Uh, the, the great ones come and give it to you every night. And Julius always felt he had an obligation to, to his public. Yeah. I don't want to pick on George, but he, he did not like the practice as, as Denver found out soon enough when you traded him for Bobby Jones and the first day of practice with, under Larry Brown, he, he alerted Larry that uh, he doesn't do suicide drills. That's not yeah. something he does. <laughs> and, and and Larry went immediately into Carl Shear's office, the general manager who made the trade, and said, you got to trade George. you got to <laughs> trade McGinnis. And then he says, whoa, we just got him. We gave up Bobby Jones for him. We're not, no, 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 you're going to have to figure it out. Well, they, he never did. Well, let me tell you, Pete, let me tell you what happened. <clears throat> that, that's true. And George may have lit up a cigarette <laughs> while watching this. But uh, so he put Carl, he put the late Carl Shear uh, on the spot. But Carl wiggled out of it. He traded George back home again Indiana. to Indiana. Yeah. And Not guess, right away, though. Not right and, away. Well, it, the deal was made that fall. Yeah. And guess who they got for him? Uh, Knight. Alex Knight. English. Alex English. Oh, my God. Who, who only became one of the Whoa. great offensive forwards in the history of basketball. Whoa, way to go, Carl Shear. Way to recoup. Carl recouped. He, he wow. recouped out of that. 
Call should be in the Hall of Fame, by the way. I, 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 I told that to Jerry Colangelo at the Hall of Fame, that he and Mike Storen, executives from the ABA, and, and Shear was the deputy commissioner of the NBA, they deserve to be in the Hall of Fame. Nobody talks about them. So, I mean, he listened to me, and then he walked away. <laughs> well, Jerry, Jerry has uh, a strong, strong control of that Hall of Fame. I know that. That's why I tell him what I think. I don't waste it to tell some PR guy about it. I tell him to his face, and nobody talks about Carl. But anyway, that was a great, great recoup trade by Carl. And uh, yeah, he, he, you know, when your coach comes and says, and Larry was known for that, you know, I mean, get him out of here. I took to, well, it's not, it's not all that simple. Yeah. But uh, but Carl was alert, and he knew that Indiana wanted George back. How about that? Uh, and and he and he and, and Alex English, you remember Pete had started in Milwaukee. Yes. yes. And he got dumped down to Indiana. Nobody was nobody was uh, knocking your door down for Alex English. Yes. I think I think Denver. I think George uh, Carl just wanted out of this. You know, I've got a mess already between and a big contract with this guy, and my coach doesn't want him now, and. He, he, put, he put together a great front line in Denver with Issel, Vandeweghe, and and Alex English, huh? How about they, that for a front boy, line? Boy, they could—they uh, never met a shot they didn't like, <laughs> or t or take. Yeah, that that was. A, you know, was, let's let's backtrack again a little bit. So I remember being at at seventy six or practices. It was so different back then. I feel bad for the media today that does not get to experience the stuff that I got to experience. So I would go to Philly. Julius, my, my guy, is down there. McGinnis and I were tight in the ABA. You know, a lot of guys down there. And Gene Shu let me in practice. And so I remember, you know, all right, middle of practice, smoke break. <laughs> <laughs> and, and the guys – it wasn't only George. There were like five or six guys that would, you know, sit on the sidelines and light it up. Freddie Carter, was, Freddie was a smoker. And a lot of the guys, I think Caldwell Jones. So, so uh, a lot of the guys in practice too, they would wear hats. Only they didn't call them hats; they call them lids. i never. I always tried to pick up the vernacular of the players, but they everyone have a different lid on during the practice. <laughs> you know, if like if I go to a playground, you know, when I was playing all the time, and I'm playing with a guy who's wearing a wristwatch. You know, or, or uh, you know, he's wearing a hat and you're backwards and stuff, and knock it off his head. You know, we get in a fight. What are you doing? You're going to hit a play or what? So Gene Shu was pretty liberal with that stuff. Oh, my word, yes. It was a different world. By the way, Pete, I, I, I just thought of this. Um, <laughs> Mike Sealski is the young uh, columnist. Excellent. Excellent. Fine writer in Philadelphia. Excellent. Yeah. Anyway, I just heard from Mike. He, um, He's working on a book on uh, the dunk, the, the the history, I guess, of the dunk. Right. And I and I haven't talked to Mike yet, but I'm going to tell him to call you because you lived through that. See, see if see if I'm not correct, Pete. Uh, when I started in '68, nobody dunked except Wilt. Dipper dunk, I, 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 dipper I, dunk. The, the zinc. That's a dipper dunk. But I don't remember Willis Reed dunking. I don't remember Walt Bellamy. I, 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 there were no dunks. And then where did it start? I think Daryl Dawkins and it came comes along in 75. 
and uh, and starts naming his dunks. Ro- ro- you know, Robenzine. I, I still see that picture of Bill Robenzine running yeah, off, crashing, Kansas breaking City. the back door. Yeah, Robenzine hiding. You know, flying all over him. And Daryl pulled down a couple of backboards, and yeah, and and then uh, then I guess it was Carl and uh, you know the slam dunk contest in the ABA All Star game. Uh, when was that? Mid 70s, 76. 76 and and but nobody thought of that nobody talked about i think it was a respect thing like they i think players understood that if you dunked on somebody you were going to get hurt they were going to take you out and (laughs) i I know that was true so it just wasn't done and then everything changed as as things happen everything does change but dawkins by the way one of the great interviews of all time, you know, I still have stuff that he said to me that so preposterous, so funny. But let, let, let's just talk about him a second. So here we are, a 76-77 championship against the Blazers. And uh, Daryl Dawkins gets into a fight with Maurice Lucas in game two. And everybody's on the floor everybody and his brother is on the floor i was like right off the floor i'm like watching this up up close and it was scary there was some big boys out there lucas had all his guys from pittsburgh and dawkins had all his guys from florida's brothers and anyway now tell me what you think happened they go to game three in portland blazers are down 2-0 what happens what do you think i know what i i, I think i know what happened but Tell me what you think. Well, Peter, first of all, first of all, if that happened today, uh, you'd have had both both teams suspended. Yeah, no game three. <laughs> there probably would have been no game three because you have both rosters would have been suspended. I remember <laughs> poor, poor Doug Collins innocently got got clubbed by, I guess Daryl. Daryl hit him. Yeah, by mistake. Yeah. Uh, I, I remember, uh, Pete, that Daryl was very upset I, that his teammates didn't come and support him. He, he went into the locker room at the old Spectrum and tore the, tore the place apart. Yeah, he, he, locked, he locked it so nobody could get in. <laughs> so the players are out there wanting to go in the locker room, and he was tearing apart the bathroom, right? He tore the plumbing out. He tore everything apart, you know, and, <laughs> But we won the game. <clears throat> I, I, I guess we'll never know what, what that did psychologically uh, to our group. Um, did, did we think that, boy, this, this Portland thing is, is this is a lark. You know, we're going to win in four. Let me throw so it what's, out. What's your theory? What did, what did, well, what, it's what more did than you... a theory, Pat. It's more than a theory. So, They go out to Portland for game three, and everybody's anticipating payback. You know, Lucas did hit Daryl from behind and payback. And uh, at the tap-off, the the tip-off, Maurice Lucas shakes Daryl's hand. Totally dismantled him. Totally. And years later, I asked Maurice about it. I said, was that consciously to deflate him, you know, take him, take his anger out of his game? He said, yeah. He said, I played for Al McGuire. Don't think I didn't learn anything from Al McGuire. (laughs) And that was it, four straight. And, of course, McGinnis was struggling. 
big time until until the last two games, I think. But well, the, listen, game six. Uh, we, well, we were up to you know, uh, game six. George was terrific. Yes, <clears throat> out there he had, he he hadn't been, but in game six he was just wonderful. Yes, and and I remember we're thinking, yes, if we can just get back home, if we can just get back home for game seven, we're going to be okay. And it came down to the last shot. And uh, who, did George take the last shot? Yeah, George. Gene Shue gave it to George instead of Julius, who was having a spectacular game. And everybody, Julius talked about this when he was on the podcast about everybody wanted it. Free wanted it. Collins wanted it. You know, everybody was a better shooter than George. He got the shot and they got and they got out of there. So I go in the locker room after the game and I put my computer under Julius's cubicle, under his chair. And I come back and my my typewriter is mangled oh it's mangled and i'm on a, i'm on a deadline now and and who broke it who do you think dawkins dawkins mangled my and i told gene you know you owe me you owe me you know for a typewriter 200 dollars at the time or something i said and then so so later on i found out that daryl thought it was alphabet soup that's what he said that was his quote so, so uh, I go back on the Philly plane with you guys. I'm back on the plane, and I'm waiting for the one of the writers on on the on the plane to finish with his story, so he can lend me the typewriter, so I can do my story. Pete, <laughs> I never got that two hundred dollars, by the way. Pete, when 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 are you going to write all this? The Pete, the, I'm, I'm, a... I'm telling you everything. I know. I this love is... sharing it with you. I love. I love going back and forth. You correct my mistakes. It's but great. What a, what a what a wonder! This is a book that needs to be written. Yeah. Uh, the, because you had, if nothing else, those ABA ties. Well, no, um, I, had, I had NBA ties. Big. Yes, time. you did. Yes, you did. ABA ABA I only did. lasted a number of years. I'll tell you what else you had. I'll tell you what else you had. Uh, you, you you ruled by intimidation. <laughs> um, you know, you, you, nobody, you well, know, I had a beard back then and more hair. Well, Pete, let me tell you something. When you called, uh, you better take, take the call and you better, you better have something intelligent to say. No, um, just be honest. Just be honest. Because you wanted the story. You were, yeah. you were an animal, an animal to get, get the story. And and you wouldn't you wouldn't accept being tap danced with you know you you right. wanted the story if you had heard something you wanted confirmation, right? And if you didn't give it properly, boy, you you could you could you could really wear people. You could kill them. Well, if you lied to me, and and don't, and don't mislead me. That was it. So Pat, here's a story. Here's a story. Don't so you're misleading. There's a guy writing a book on the Buffalo Braves now. Yes, on the team on all the players and stuff. I spoke to him yesterday and I told him a story about Eddie Donovan, who was the general manager of that team. And then, and then the Knicks, Oh no, the Knicks and then, and then Buffalo. Um, and, and he said, you, you named him Daffy Donovan. I said, yeah, I did. <laughs> I, said, I did because I said, he, <laughs> I forgot that. <laughs> I said, I called him one day with the Knicks and I asked him about a trade that I that I heard was happening, and he lied to me, absolutely lied. The next day, I pick up the New York Times, and the story is in the Times. The trade? Yeah. Sam Goldapper oh, wrote the story. 
And I call up Eddie Dono. I said, Eddie, I mean, I cursed. I mean, I'm, I'm furious. And I said, Eddie, I mean, what the hell? He goes, well, Pete, so I have to take care of Sam. He's the New York Times. <laughs> so, so from then on, you know, he was on my shit list. And, and uh, I even went so far as to date, date his daughter, who was beautiful, by the way. And I figured I was going to get even with him and marry his daughter. And she, <laughs> she was gorgeous. But then, I, but then I, I saved her. I saved her and I did not, you know, whatever. But hey, I, let, me, let, me, let me tell you, <laughs> Eddie Donovan, <laughs> Eddie was the most wonderful. Um, he would call around the league. He would, he, you know, every week he'd have a list and he'd call other GMs around the league. Uh, just to check in, very, very friendly, outgoing, warm guy, you know, just checking on this and what are we hearing here? And he, he was, he was terrific at that. But, it, but picture this scene, uh, Jack Ram, it's, it's the summer of 1968. And, and, and uh, Jack Ramsey has just announced Alex Hannum is not coming back. I'm going to take over the coaching duties. And uh, in typical Eddie fashion, he called Jack uh, to wish him well. Um, to uh, congratulate him and uh, tell him he's always available if he need any help. And they had a, Jack said they had a wonderful chat. And uh, they had just about finished. And, and, and Ed, Eddie says, oh, Jack, Jack, uh, <laughs> one, one, one more thing. Be the boss. Interesting. Be the, be the boss. Yeah. That was probably a problem with, that developed between him and Red Holzman, that he tried to be the boss too much. He did a great job at putting that Nick team together. There's no, you know, no it, question. It, in other words, what, what, and I've thought long and hard. Uh, in, in fact, I, I could, I, if I if were going to write another leadership book, that might be the work, that might be the title, uh, Be the Boss. and, and Make and command so, decisions. That's yeah, what so what, what Eddie yeah. was saying was don't come in here and uh, – you know, you're a college guy and all this, but take charge, take charge. You're, you're, he said, your players want you to take charge. Uh, they, they want you to be a strong leader. Right. They, they, want, it, they want you to be somebody that they, they'll, they'll die for. Uh, be, the, be the boss. And, and, and what Eddie really meant was from, from your first meeting, that was, who you, that was always Hubie Brown's theory. Uh, if you're a new coach, your, your first meeting with your players is going to determine uh, how it goes for you. Like if, if you're tentative or if you're kind of wishy-washy and you know, that first meeting, you said that's going to that's going to carry right down the line. Well, I don't think Hubie had to worry about that or Jack. Jack, for that matter, neither one of them had to worry about that. It's 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 a uh, oh boy. Pat, Pat let, me, let me let me ask you about. Something. Let's talk about Bill Walton for a minute. Did you? No, 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 I don't want to talk about. It. Have you read this story this week? He's yeah, about the homeless and stuff like. He's that. gone after the mayor. Gone after the mayor for not taking the homeless off the street. I put something up on Twitter that the mayor, while he's doing this, he should take Walton off the air. <laughs> <laughs> oh, please! So I worked with him. <laughs> that wasn't easy, but but Pat. We talked about Julius and how and how you brought it brought the attention to your owner, and and all that stuff. But I want to know, and I, I've never really gotten the answer. Maybe you know it. Is that how did you know to go after 
the Nets, for, you know, for Julius. How, what made you call Billy Melchioni, who was the general manager at the time? And more, more importantly, I think, because he was holding out. And, and by the way, Pat, while he was holding out, I would practice with him one-on-one -on -one at Hempstead High School. I have photos in my office of us playing one-on-one. -on -one. I was like, you're not serious. Yeah. <laughs> I've never released those. I, I love those photos. Oh my so, goodness, Pete! That, so now, if I had known that, you know, I'd have I'd have been calling, picking your brain, asking for an answer. Well, he did give me the story that we broke it in the Daily News. But but my my point is, everyone says that the Knicks could have had Julius, but didn't do it because for whatever reason. And and I've never believed that. I never believed that Roy Bow would have he needed money. We get it. He got three million from your owner. But that he would have put Julius at the garden, he, he might as well have just left left New York State after that if he had done what what was Well, your, Pete, I don't uh, let, let, let's go back. Um right. uh, the merger takes place that summer, uh, in July. Uh the, now we have we're one league. And uh, a big part of that was uh, Julius coming in, you know, to the other league. And, uh, the biggest. <laughs> that was a big part of it. However, uh, what we didn't know was that there was bad blood between Julius and Julius's people and Roy Bowe. Uh, I think promises had been made. There was a contract. Oh, supposedly. So the, the, the things we'll never know. But, they're, they're, but Julius's side felt that he had been promised this, this, and this, and it hadn't taken place. Yeah, new so, contract. If, if there was a merger, he would get a new contract. That's what they allege. I say, Dr. I, brains that he was, you know, and, and, and uh, you know, as, as you know, he, he was definitely, you know, figured things out. Why wasn't it in writing? What, what would you, what would prevent him from getting that in writing? So I don't believe it. I'm sorry. Okay. So nevertheless, yeah, uh, Julius uh, doesn't go to training camp. Right. And that's a big story. Right. So I called Billy, uh, who was the GM of the Nets, and I said, Billy, what's going on? And he, and he told me, Billy was an absolute straight shooter. Great guy to this well, day. Tremendous guy. And Bill, Billy said, um, uh, I, and I just threw it out there. I said, Billy, are, are there any conditions in, in which you would move him? And Billy said, no, no, there aren't. And I said, well, if that ever changes, uh, call me. And about two weeks later, he called and said, uh, the conditions have changed. He said, we're, we're open to talking about moving Julius. And I said, Billy, uh, what, 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 what do you need? He said, money. He said, my, my owner needs money. I said, how much? He said, three million. Which in 1976, Peter, that would be like saying three billion. Uh, and then I, I, I said, now what's it going to take to sign him? That's the other issue. He said, that'll be another three for five years. I said, Pete, I, I didn't do very well in math at Wake Forest in my student days. But I said, I think that adds up to six. I said, is that right? He said, yeah. I said, okay, I'll, I'll be back to you. So we had a new owner, uh, F. Eugene Dixon, had bought the club that summer. He'd, he'd, he'd had a, a former piece of the Phillies. He'd had a piece of the Eagles. He'd had a piece of the Flyers. But he never had his own team. 
but he bought the club that summer. His parents were on the Titanic. You know, I mean, there's a whole history here. Right. And uh, so I, I called him up. I said, if, uh, Fitz, I, um, I need to come see you right away. Uh, okay, fine. I'll, I'll be here. So I uh, uh, drove up to his cattle farm outside of Philly, <laughs> raised black Angus. <laughs> and I, I drove through all the cattle and he got to his office and I <laughs> said, Pat, what's, uh, what's up? I said, Fitz, Julius Irving is available. And he said, tell me, Pat, uh, who is Julius Irving? Uh, he, he was not an ABA fan, Pete. He hadn't followed the ABA. And I said, well, there were no NBA fans that were ABA fans. <laughs> I said, I said, Fitz, I think I can tell you he's the Babe Ruth of basketball. Right. And he's available. And Fitz said, well, what's it going to take to get him? Now, to understand this was a new owner. And I don't think I could have choked out $6 million, uh, you know, flippantly. I kind of, Three million, three million. He said, "That's six, right?" I said, uh, <laughs> and he said, uh, "Will that do it?" I said, "According to Billy Melchioni, that'll uh, that'll do it." And then he looked at me and he said, "Pat, and this, I didn't know this man that well." He said, "Are you recommending this deal?" And I said, uh, "Yes, sir, I am." And he said, "Well, then go get it done." Great. That's, that's, my, that, that's, that's the kind of owner you want, right? Yeah, that's, that's what you want. There's he said, go no get it done. So this was probably three o'clock in the afternoon. So we, uh, we, we got a battering of lawyers. We had a whole group of this lawyers. And then we met down at 30th Street Station in Philly and took the train up to New York. One group veered off to meet with the Nets. Another group of lawyers to meet with Erwin Weiner. And, and through the night, the negotiations went on. And the next morning, I don't know, about 8 a.m., we got together and said, I got mine done and I got mine done. We, we got us a deal. Yeah. And, and we said, well, you know, we're in New York. We, we probably ought to go over and explain all this to the commissioner. And we did. And Pete, you know, it was that summer, you recall, uh, you're a baseball guy, that uh, Charlie Finley sold off all of his players might have blue and Joe Rudy and he sold them all off for cash. Yeah. And, and Bowie Q and the commissioner killed every deal. Yeah. In the best interest of baseball. And we, and I was, I didn't say anything, but I was concerned. Oh boy. Could, could Larry O'Brien pull up Bowie Q here? Mm. Mm. Was this, was this not in the best interest of basketball, mm -hmm. but he didn't. And uh, the deal was approved. And uh, we called a press conference that night, that after late that afternoon in Philly. It was a huge. It was huge. We had it. We had it in the Daily News that morning. By the way, yeah, that well doesn't and, surprise. And, doesn't, and doesn't surprise. Finley, Finley, if you recall, was an ABA owner. Yeah, he owned the Memphis team. Owned the he? Memphis team, and I had some dealings with him. Let me tell you that that that'll be a book. But oh boy. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, we'll move past that. But again, Pat. So, I mean, Pete, so we have the press conference. Right. And it was huge. And uh, Julius was wonderful, as you could imagine. 
he he'd, his only training camp now, as it turns out, had been with you. <laughs> I worked um, him hard, Pat. Well, which which I'm a little concerned about now, many years later. And uh, <laughs> so I remember, I remember, I took my wife out afterwards for dinner, and she broke the news <laughs> that our our second child was on the way. Oh my goodness! What is that? That was the night. That was the night of Julius's. I present. didn't have that. That you missed that story, Pete. I didn't have that. <laughs> Bob, Bobby is now uh, forty-six years oh, old, my God. and a pro scout for the uh, LA Angels. Oh, that's great! But, but the next night, Pete is opening night. We, we, we Julius has had a Vessi training camp, <laughs> and uh, and and we 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 open with the um, San Antonio Spurs with the great George Gervin and. And I remember Pete, uh, the lights are down in the spotlight and the intro, and here comes one of our season ticket holders running out on the floor and hands Julius a doctor's bag <laughs> to, to, to welcome him to Philadelphia. That's great. And we lost. We lose. After all this, we lose to the Spurs. Right. Well, he wasn't in great shape. Yeah, see Pete, and then the next night we go up to Buffalo and we lose there. Right, we're zero and two. <laughs> is your owner is your owner worried at that point? Well, he's probably he's he's because I assured him that I said Julius is the kind of guy he'll be in shape. You know, he works at it, and he's gone to this Vessi training camp. And <laughs> <laughs> but we got straightened out, Pete, and that was the seventy six seventy seven season. What a season! What a and season! It was, it was it was like a traveling road show yeah. with all these guys plus plus uh Kobe Bri Kobe Bryant's father Joe Jelly, Bean. Jelly Beans on the team he's on the team and we yeah. and we got Lloyd Free the, the, the free for all and we've got yeah. this colorful character Daryl Dawkins uh, who, who we did not realize Pete was the poet laureate oh, of America goodness. oh yeah he he really oh, my. he could string some words together oh my goodness I, I never will forget, Pete, and I wish I'd saved this, but in that 77 finals, we're up two zip. We go out, we, we lose two. We're not two, two coming home for game five. And uh, <laughs> the daily news got to him. I guess that was Phil Jasner. And, and they, they asked Daryl to put together a, a, a poem for game five. And oh, Daryl titled it an ode to game five. Unbelievable. Which ran in the paper, and I, I maybe you can find that one day. And that I, in I'm going to look for it. I, I didn't. I didn't know it, it, it was called an ode to right. Game Five. I didn't know Daryl knew what an ode was. Right, right. It's spelled O D E, Pete. Yeah, no, I, I know the Lord. Ode. I guess it's some <laughs> sort of a poem. And Daryl, I, I don't write odes. I wrote. I write sonnets. Well, you write one-liners, Pete. You write <laughs> Um. All right, so now it's now it's eighty four, and you play the Nets and and Daryl Dawkins in the first round after winning the championship. Now it's a play, you know, and you lose in five games. All three losses are in Philly. Yeah, what what the heck happened? Uh, Pete, um, let me tell you my theory on that. To win a championship, which we did in 83, 83, everything has to be perfect. 
healthy, good attitudes, unselfishness, teamwork, uh, focus, everything. Plus, all your players have to be right at their physical peak together. That's how it works. And there's also this enormous letdown after you win one. When you win a title, and, um, and I'll, I'll tell you what I mean. We, we spent that whole summer of 83 designing our rings. <laughs> and they were, and, and at the time, they'd be nothing today, but, but, but they were beauties. And they were beauties. And we, we took that Moses slogan, foe, foe, foe. You know, we made it foe, five, foe, and it was wonderful. Yeah. And no, no well, let me stop you quickly. He never said that, by the way, just so you well, know. Well, that's a whole other debate. Right. No, he never said it. He never said it. Did but... he say it? And, and, and they'll be debating as long no. as long. I read the story. He said, Philly Ryder asked him how they were going to do in the playoffs. And he said, well, I can't see us losing a game. The headline writer, Sharp, that's what they do. He put it in vernacular of, of uh, Moses. And he said, foe, foe, foe. I was telling this to his son just the other day. I said, I know that for a fact. Not true. But, of course, in, in folklore... Oh, it's there forever. It's there forever. Yeah. But I, so anyway, know. the rings are designed and on opening day, the commissioner's there. We get our rings, Pete. Yeah, of course. That's what oh, it's about. Opening day. And guess what happened? I put that ring on that finger. And for the next three or four weeks, all I did was stare at that ring. And I would cradle it. Mm. And I'd slide it. And I'd kiss it. And, and, and just, oh. And and the new season was off and running, and I wasn't even paying attention to it. Yeah, so everybody's fondling their rings. I I was just just caressing that ring, yeah, caressing, and it. all it was forcing me to do was live in yesterday. Oh my God, that's and, and 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 I I I wasn't living today. I mean, it was just all about the past. And Pete, I took that ring eventually when I realized what was happening, and I put it back in the little velvet box. And I haven't put it on since. Really? It's in mint condition. It's in a safe deposit vault. Uh, simply because, so my point is. Um, yeah, I get it. That's after you win one, yeah, there's kind of a letdown. Yeah. So so when I read about repeat champions and I read about the, the Celtics winning eight in a row, I, I think half the, 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 the power of Red Auerbach was convinced. And he, Red wrote about that. Uh -huh. Ah, you've had a wonderful summer. Ah, everybody's telling you how great you are. And everybody's telling you that you're the best. And yeah, but da, 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 and Red would mock him and just say, but you better, and he would be, you know, he wouldn't let them rest on their lawn. It's a new day. <laughs> he, wouldn't, he wouldn't let them fondle their rings. Right. And, and so uh, uh, that's, uh, that's what happened, Pete. And we were not quite as sharp the next year. Mm. Julius was coming a little closer to the end of his career. Um, we just weren't quite as good. And remember, his, remember his line before game five? Remember what he told the Nets? Ba basically said, you know, you might as well, you know, call it in because, you know, you got no shot at this. And, <laughs> and they beat them again in Philly. Unbelievable. Pete, that, 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 we were just shocked. But, you know, the Nets, this is Michael Ray Richardson. This Otis. Otis. 
Otis Bird song, right? Michael Corrin. Yeah. And a very uh, rejuvenated Daryl Dawkins. Absolutely, yeah. Uh, Daryl had been insulted. You know, we basically had given him away. Uh, there was no other player in, in return. They just sold him. Wow. Saying, Daryl, you have no value. But but he I I don't have his numbers of that series, but they were pretty good, Pete. Yeah, the whole team was the whole team was really and they, good. And they just, Dan Albeck was the coach. Um and, and Pete, we haven't even gotten into the greatest the <laughs> the greatest trade in NBA history. Harvey Catchings, Eric Money, and the suspended game. And right. and and uh, we, we trade players. They played for both teams. Yeah, Al Skinner. Al Skinner was involved. Alan, Ralph Simpson. Ralph Simpson. Oh, right. boy. Oh, boy. Oh yeah, boy. So, so they were in two. They were in both box scores by the end of it. They were in both. I have that. I have that box score. I have never, it. Never, never has happened before. Never will happen no. again. No, no. Probably. <laughs> Pete, you, don't, you realize that, um, I mean, we've, we've been going here an hour and a half. Well, I apologize, but I. But, but I, you, you I, think you think people are still listening? You know, I'm I'm uh, I'm getting a kick out of it, and that really it's really well, all that counts. It's all that counts. I've always said that about my columns. You know, if if uh, if I thought it was good, I was fine with it. Uh, I I only have a few pertinent questions left, but we never did decide were the Knicks ever involved. Oh, yep, yeah, I forgot that. Or Julius Irving. Pete, no, I would say no. I would I, say I, no. I, also. I, say I, no. I, I never heard. I never heard that. Um, right. People. Here, here was the big. Believe. Here was the big issue. Uh, it was with my coach, with, uh, Gene Shu, uh, because I, I I told him I said Gene Julius is available. I said we got a shot at this, and um, and he Gene was not uh, into that. He he did not picture how he could have McGinnis and Irving and how it would all work and. And uh, I, I could not get him to sign off. Wow, there's something new. But but finally, on a, I, it was a Sunday night. I, I I called him, and knowing how much Gene hated the Knicks uh, from those uh, bullet Nick playoffs, right over and over, they, they, yeah, he played for the Knicks too. He did, but those playoffs were ugly. Yeah, they killed him. Yeah, but he yeah. beat them. He beat them once. I said, I said, Gene, let me just ask you a question. If you pick up the paper tomorrow morning and you see that the New York Knicks have acquired Julius Irving, I said, how are you going to feel? There was a little pause. And he said, <laughs> That's he said, a great question. He said, uh, 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 just, just, just get it done. <laughs> That's funny. That's a great story. He said, just, just, just get it done. That's great. Then that was the end of the conversation. So at least we got that one taken care of. You can't make a trade, I've learned, Pete, if you if your coach is opposed to it. And because of your executive position, you can ram it down his throat. You can't do that. Right. But people do it. They, it happens, but it's not healthy. It's uh I'm it's gonna not- I'm gonna do go on tangent, quick tangent to Rick Mount when he came out of college. And the Pacers drafted him after winning a championship. Mike Storen, who I mentioned previously, was the general manager. Slick Leonard was the coach. 
he did not want Rick Mount. Storen drafted him, and Slick screwed him. Screwed him. Told him. Didn't want you. Not playing here. And and Rick Mount, to this day, is angry about it. I had lunch with him uh, recently. Really? Yeah, so all right, so so you're right. You, you're not you're not supposed to. It, it just doesn't make sense. Um, yeah, you may win as a GM. You may win that immediate battle, but in the long run, uh, you're you're not you're not winning. Yeah, well, you're, Mount Mount wound up getting traded to Kentucky, and who was the general manager by that time? Mike, Mike Soren. <laughs> he had moved on to Kentucky, and he ended up acquiring him. So to this day, Rick is angry at Slick, and I mean angry. Um, fascinating, right? So, so I know I wanted to ask you. Okay, what, Gene Shoup, why was why was he fired? Like what six games into the season? What 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 was happening there? I think I know. We might not have be able to discuss it all, but you were there. Well, this was um, uh, 76, 77. We have the new owner, Mister Fitz Dixon. We uh, we go to the finals. Uh, we we lose. We've talked about it, the Portland series. Now it's the start of the new season. Uh, but in the meantime, uh, Gene Shue uh, wants a new contract. And for the first time, Pete, that I can remember, uh, a coach ends up with an agent. Richie Phillips. Not just any agent. Richie Phillips. But the immortal Richie Phillips. I love Richie. Richie <laughs> the, Phillips, bear. the bear. The bear. The bear. And then Richie was this big former Villanova linebacker, you know, <laughs> worked in the, I love the office. And he was he was a pistol boy, the bear. And the bear little, little little tangent. Richie Phillips paid for my entire honeymoon. <laughs> How's that? Impressive. You think I like them? <laughs> okay, go on. The bear. So the bear takes off, and he's gonna, he's representing Gene, and he uh, uh, the the Richie Phillips couldn't do anything um, mildly. You know, it was going to be intense, and it was going to be, uh, and he he comes plowing in and uh, asks for the moon. Uh, Fitz is upset. He said, uh, he said they're, they're, they're trying to take advantage of the new kid on the block, isn't he? Mm-hmm. Trying to, t- new owner, he said, they're trying to, trying to take advantage of me, a new kid on the block. I said, I, Fitz, I don't know that that's the case. I said, but uh, there'd never been a coach with an agent. This was, this was brand new. It was radical. And, and finally, finally, um, Fitz gave in, uh, gave him, which at the time was a huge contract, gave it to him. But the minute he did that, I, I sensed Gene was going to have to be perfect. I mean, Gene, there was, there's, there was no room here for slippage. Hmm. And so we start this new season, the 77-78 season, and it gets off to a bad start. It wasn't that deep into the season, but oh, we're six, six games, eight games, something, something like that. that. We were, yeah. under, I think we were three and five, but remember, yeah. what, I said? remember what I said? Yeah. Uh, he was going to have to be perfect because Fitz 
grudgingly gave him the contract, reluctantly gave him the contract. Mm. And and uh, the minute he, Gene had to be was going to have to be perfect. And so there's was, there was just a sense that this season was heading down the wrong path. And uh, I <laughs> I never will forget we. We're, we're home. I guess we're three and five or something. We lose. We lose again at this point. <clears throat> Fitz would sit right down on the floor, <clears throat> category to our bench under the basket. And this game's going down the tubes, and I can still see Fitz standing up. He, I, I sat up in the press box, and he's giving giving hand signals, wow. like <clears throat> I want to talk to you after this game. So we, uh, we, we, we got into his little suite there after the game and he's, he's, uh, he's agitated. He's upset and said, what are, what are we going to do about this? What are we going to do? I want him out of here. I went, Whoa. I said, well, if that's the case, Fitz, what, you know, who's in the wings? And he said, you're the expert. He said, who, who, who is in the wings? I said, well, this is going to be a, a, a very controversial story. I said, if we're going to do it, we better get somebody that the uh, the public has great respect for and great adoration. Right. I said, there's only one that I know of, and that's Billy Cunningham. Who'd never coached. Never coached. Uh, but I said, he's, he's, he's in the uh, Mount Rushmore of uh, Philadelphia sports heroes. And um, all right, we'll get a hold of him and... So I, 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 Billy had been at the game that night, and I, I reached out to him late, late, and I told him what was stirring. And um, he said, well, let's, let's meet in the morning. And uh, we did, and he, he wanted the job. He, he, he had just retired the year before. Mm-hmm. He was doing broadcasting. But, but uh, the, the sad part about that whole story, uh, Pete, I never, I never was able to get a hold of Gene. So I heard about that. To talk to him. No, I heard, I heard he was, he was not to be found. He was not to be found. And well, I, I, so I'm telling you, I have a relationship with Richie Phillips. You know, may he rest in peace. And Jack McMahon, who was your scout, he was to find Gene Shue. Where is nobody? He was supposed to be on a scouting mission. He wasn't. And Jack found him, and uh, and Richie let him know. And so again, I broke that story that day. I, it was the only time I ever worked with another out of town newspaper man. It was Mark Heisler. Ah, and so I'm on the phone with Mark. I said, Mark, I got the story. He's going to be fired. I'm going with that. I said, but I don't know who's replacing. I don't know who who's replacing him. Mark wound up finding out that it was Billy. So both of us wrote it the same day. And as it turned out, Pat, I was speaking that morning in Temple, at Temple, by a professor, Norman Kaner, whose whose brother was an agent, Richard. I knew Richard Kaner. Well, she did, yeah. He's still around, just just turned 80. And... and, um, but his, his brother died of, of, of a heart problem. So I spoke at his journalism class at Temple. And then he went out and bought the Post. And he's putting it on all the, 
on the desks of 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 the the kids in the in the room. It was tremendous. And then and then when it was over, I went to the press conference. <laughs> Fascinating. Now, now, Pete, let's go one step further. Okay. Uh, that that happened on a Wednesday, Thursday. So now it's Friday night. Billy's debut. It's 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 in Piscataway, New Jersey. No, oh, my my favorite place. <laughs> yeah, Rutgers. Yeah. Uh, the Nets with Bernard King, and uh, th- this was a tough, nasty Nets team. And uh, Billy's for debut, boy, oh boy! And he uh, he worked, and he sweated, and he probably ripped the seat out of his pants. He was he was coaching up a storm, and we won. Was that Bernard's rookie year? I, well, this would have been this would have been the fall of '77, and uh, I think that's right. Yeah. And and Bernard was tremendous, and they had uh, I, I guess O'Corin was Mike Jaminski there. Yeah, they they had, they had talent. So they 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 were, but Billy's debut was successful. And, and when did you get him? You you already he already had Jack McMahon. When did you Jack, get him? Chuck Daly right after that. Jack and 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 uh, Pete. Uh, you told me you told me the story how you went to Chuck and how you. No, well, we went to, to, to over to the palestra to talk but, to him. And but why why did you go get why him why Chuck Daly? I think Chuck had reached out to Bill. They knew each other. Yeah. And were friends. They oh. probably played golf together. And, so, oh. and 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 Chuck got word somehow or other to Billy. I see. That he was interested, and Billy Billy reacted by saying, "That's that, that's that, that sounds good. Let's like, see see if see if see what you can do." Well, I went over to the play. I told you this. Yeah, you told me so. We're not we're not going to go over that again. But I, I I love the fact that that that's how it was. So Billy Cunningham was the guy that Billy knew he needed veteran help. Yeah, but it was it, but it was it was so ahead of its time. Again, you putting two professional coaches next to a guy who'd never coached before. And it, and it became the norm. You know, that's, that's what Phil Jackson did. That's what, uh, uh, well, he had Pete, he had in Jack, the old NBA pro, the old, the old leader, sure. you know, he was solid. Loved him. And over here he had uh, Chuck who uh, bought a different slant. He might've, he came from the Vic Bubas pipeline at Duke and, and then he'd had, had head coaching experience, as Jack had. Uh, so it was a nice balance. And listen, I, 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 I would not have said at that point that, that Chuck Daly's going into the Hall of Fame, uh, that he's going to be considered one of the top NBA coaches in history. He's going to coach our first Olympic dream team. Right. Um, I can't well, say. Especially, especially when he bombed out in Cleveland. He, oh, like, he didn't even last a half a season. <laughs> oh, it was a mess. It was a right. mess. He never, he, listen, he never left his hotel room, motel room. Uh, in in Cleveland? Never, never got a place to stay. <laughs> Smart. But, good good move. But Chuck brought, uh, you know what Chuck brought? Um, uh, clothes, suits. Right. Ties. Yeah. Wonderful shirts. Yeah pocket hankies right and, and he brought the good hair yeah the quaffed uh there, that was a beautiful sight to see chuck come out of the you know out of the locker room you know out on, <laughs> down the down the tunnel out the pat can you imagine chuck daly coaching today in a warm-up suit 
<laughs> you know, these guys today, I mean, they don't they have any pride at all? Oh, well, they have permission from the league that you don't have to wear a suit and a tie or, you know, whatever. Please. College college coaches look real good on the sideline wearing, you know, look, look in, in, in fine attire. The NBA guys could afford it. Have some pride. Look, look good. I don't think I don't think Chuck would have, would give up have given up his suits. No way. You think Riley would? No. You you know what? Chuck had one theory, Pete. Think Bob Hill would. No, you you need. But, but Chuck's theory was every every coach has to have one really great looking blue suit. <laughs> Even if you didn't go to Carolina. And he would underline the word blue. You know, the only better looking guy coach on the sideline, Pete, was was your friend Frank McGuire. Oh my God. He was he was there was nobody like Frank. You know, oh, as he would come out down the tunnel and, and he could always make sure yes. he was Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh did I, did I love Frank? Did to I see Frank, Frank, to see Frank uh, as he first came out on the floor. Mm. Always getting those, make sure the cufflinks were, you know, he was a beauty. Yeah. He was a beauty. Boy, he could, and he could, and I think Chuck learned that from him. Uh, Chuck, Chuck was a clothes horse. Yeah. I used to go shopping with him in Detroit. He'd take me places. Everyone said, well, you know, didn't he have custom-made suits? I said, no. Why would he have custom-made suits? Well, he'd go to a place, you know, and they'd give him a suit for free just to mention their name or something. So, I never got the free suit, but but I enjoyed being in his company. Oh, he was fun to go. I would, I would. Uh, he, he taught me how to go, and I went to places with him. Yeah. He also introduced me to his barber, <laughs> uh, the Pelegis, the Pelegis in South Jersey, and uh, he he knew. I went to Leon the barber. I didn't go to his guy. <laughs> <laughs> Pat, I want to take you one more step. Just one more, very important one. Um, I'm sorry to, to, to rush, but I know you know no, we're, we're, we're we're all over the place. But we talked about Orlando. We talked about Penny. We talked about drafting Shaq and then trading for Penny. So Shaq plays what four years with you? You know, he was not a Brian Hill fan. Um, he I've heard I heard him knock him all the time. Um, Penny picked up that that. Uh, that chant, and then when Shaq left, Penny finished the job with with the other guys. My my question to you is: Did Orlando ever ever have a chance to sign Shaq? Or the story we read about, you know, the owner, his name is what? Uh, Rich DeVos. Rich DeVos. Did he actually adhere? Go by what was in the newspaper. They did a poll on what they should pay Shaq, and the, the newspaper said no. Why would you ever listen to a newspaper? My God. But did he, you know, I, I know his agent, Shaq's agent was from L.A. He, he wanted him in L.A. There was, there was no secret. Did, he, did, the, did the Magic ever have a chance to honestly re-sign him? I think they did, Pete. Uh, let, let's just go back and review a couple of things. Number one, um, in those days, um, at the well, today at the end of your first contract, the club has the right to match and keep you. There was this little short window back then, Pete, when that had been waived, mm-hmm. and and after your first contract, you couldn't match. After the Shack thing, that was quickly patched up again, and and that's where it is today. 
Wow. But back then, there was this short period of time huh. at the end, and Shaq's four years with us were up, and we did not have the right to match. Incredible. And that, uh, that that's point number one. Right. Point number two, generally in contracts, there's a kind of a graduation, graduation of salaries. They, they move up kind of in, in organized fashion. But that particular summer, it went completely bonkers. Uh, out of control, and it was it was the Heat signing um, Alonzo Mourning. Yes, there was no there was no logical. It didn't go from here to here to here. It went from here to boom. Yeah, and then you had uh, the Washington with Jawan Howard. Yes, where it just it, it was just instant insanity. So we went with Shaq from here to here. And, and he was in, as it turns out, when he found out about these other guys going to here, he was in, highly indignant. I'm better than Olan. I'm better. Well, it's true. Yeah. But, but that was stuck in his craw now. So you've got to take that into consideration. And then the third one in, in Jerry West's finest hour as an executive, uh, how he cleared cap room, cap space. Right. Uh, particularly when he took, uh, Lynch and the kid from Missouri, you know, and, and yeah, the, the, the shooting guard, Peeler, Anthony Peeler, and he sent them to Vancouver, shuffles them off to Vancouver. And yeah. I remember John Gabriel, our scout, saying at, their, at that point, saying, uh, We've had it, you know, when that deal was made, he now, uh, the Lakers, yeah, had two, two picks, two number two picks, yeah, they had they had Capro, yes, and and we were in trouble. But even with it, Pete, we did come back at the end. It was too late, but at the end came back and 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 got them the contract that he was going to get in L.A., uh, but without any state income tax. So it was a better deal. Yes. We made him a better deal. But emotionally, he was already in L.A. Already gone. He, he was gone. Well, that, that, that clears a lot up. Because I always felt Leonard Amato, who was his agent from L.A. and stuff, that he was uh, definitely in his ear. You know, we want you out here. We can make a lot of money out here, which they oh, did. Oh, he was. Yeah. I mean, from the time we won the draft lottery in 92, uh, Leonard was in our ear. Uh, he was in our ear. He never, he never, never said... Uh, after that lottery, boy, this this is wonderful. I'm so pleased that Shaq can start his career <laughs> in Orlando, and this is going to be great for him. Never said that. Never committed. Uh, and so finally, finally, we bring Shaq in uh, right after the draft. We just, we, we drafted him now. Everybody knew we would, but we took him, and we had a big community lunch all the movers and shakers in, mm. in, in, in Atlanta, they would call those people mules, you know, the people that move the community. So we had everybody of note mm. and Shaq comes out and they said, I'm so happy to be here. And I'm looking forward to starting my career right here in Orlando. That's the first time that those words had ever been said. <laughs> um, but and at that point, the room of three or four hundred, they they went wild. They were so excited sure. because sure. Leonard had never said a word about, uh, yeah, he's going to do great there. No, he never, never, never did.
Right. And, and quietly he was, he would plant little seeds. Why don't you, why don't you deal him? Why don't you, why don't you make a deal with the Lakers? You know, there's quiet little references. Well, I'll tell you, I'll tell you what Shaq used to say to me, and I'm sure he said it to everybody, was we can't get to the next level with Brian Hill as the coach. He wanted he wanted Chuck Daly before it happened. He wanted that's who he wanted. So he was planting seeds of his own to the uh, to his teammates and to the media and all that stuff. Then he left. Like I said, he left he left Penny with that echoing in his in his ear. Well, let me let me just say this, and and uh, Shaq is. Uh, well, I could I could write a whole book on on Shaq. But well, we should. But 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 Shaq. Um, Shaq was numero uno. It's interesting that he struggled with all of these um, running mates. Yeah. He struggled terribly with Penny. Yeah. Little Penny. I mean, little Penny became a superstar. Right. Shaq didn't have a little Penny campaign. He needed an Urkel of his own. <laughs> and then, and then he, he goes out in L.A., struggled terribly with Kobe. And then he goes to Miami and struggled terribly with Dwayne Wade. Yep. And he struggled with coaches. Didn't want Stan Van Gundy as his coach. Didn't want Brian Hill as his coach. Didn't want Dell Harris as his coach. Uh, and he was a Chuck fan. Well, who wasn't a Chuck fan? But uh, and eventually Chuck did coach here. Yes, that's what I'm saying. Before it happened, it's kind of interesting. But, but my point is that uh, I hear you. I hear you. Mike struggled with these running mates terribly. Yeah. And 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 I, speaking of our motto, I I must have gotten a call from Leonard. I mean, once a week, always the same, complaining about the point guard. That in this case, it was Scott Skiles, Sam Vincent. Um. They're not getting the ball enough to, to the big guy. He, 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 he wants to handle it every trip down the floor. Uh, you, you're going to have to get some more different point guard. They're not, they're not, uh, <laughs> not sharing the sugar. Skiles what, still has the record, doesn't he, for assists oh, in a game? Saw, yeah, that was before Shaq came. But, yeah, I'm just saying. I mean, he knew how to pass. <laughs> yeah, but, but, but never enough. Every, every time Shaq wanted the ball every time. Yeah. And Leonard, Leonard would. I said, Leonard, I, I, there's not much I can do to help you here. You know, that's that's a coaching issue. You know, and I don't get in the middle of that. But uh, with Shaq, uh, in his youth, in his impetuous youth, uh, he 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 wanted uh, he, he wanted everything to revolve around him, and as well it should. Right. I, but, I, uh, I think I don't think he likes Kenny Smith either on the air. So there you go. Well, <laughs> Shaq, yeah. How with that point guard, you know, it's 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 it, 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 he's an interesting guy. But but Pete, you know, what's amazing to me, Shaq does more commercials than all the current athletes put together. Yeah. Yeah. He's smart that way. No question. Think about that for a minute. He's been retired for how long? Yeah, uh, 12, 15, 13, 14 years. Yeah. And he, you can take all the athletes in all the sports and combine them, and Shaq does more than all of them. Right. No, but that's never happened before. Right. 
Yeah, no, he knows how to sell himself. Oh, no yes, and yes. The, and the product. There's no, there's no question about that. And but I'm not going to give him. I'm not going to give him any airtime on his commercials. We're gonna we're gonna end it. Pat, I, I had such a good time. I mean, it's like the old days. You know, me calling you up and or seeing you at the at the game and stuff, and just talking basketball. And uh, you know, I don't need a podcast to call you and talk basketball. So I, well, I, I treasure my relationship with you. Peter, it's been wonderful fun these two sessions, and uh, hopefully, hopefully we've we've had some viewers and uh, particularly young people who realize that the game of basketball was not invented a year ago, right? And that uh, that it didn't all start with LeBron James, right? Uh, that, that that there's a whole history long, long before that laid all the groundwork here. You've got and you've got to have that sense of history to understand today. It's like any other history you know you don't understand today unless you know the past and uh it, it's infuriating that they don't understand but hopefully this will educate the few who a few young people who tune in i know the older people will because they they love this stuff they they love hearing the stories so again pat best best of health and uh thank you pete always wonderful to see you stay in touch see, see you soon Talk to you soon. and get and get to work on that book pete Okay, I got I'll get it. to work on that book. I it's think important. I finished it today. I think this is it. <laughs> that's an that's an important one to write. See, nobody, no, there are no other writers around, Pete. Right. Uh, that to live through that. You're the only one left. Right. I, I, I just uh, Sam Goldapper's gone. How about <laughs> Pete? That's that that's the highlight of our of the whole show. <laughs> Sam what a what a quote from Eddie. Oh, Sam in the New York Times. New York Times. Of course, I got to take care of him. I take care of him. Oh, my God. Fleischer was the same way. He would take care of Sam. I can still see Sam. I can still see Sam, you know, uh, trolling along the (laughs) edge of the garden. All right, Pat. Take care. We're done. Take care. That was, and and here's a John Condon. Let's finish on this. Yep. Thank you for coming. No, well, I, I think even better. Thank, thank uh, you for coming. Arrive home safely. Yes. That was John here, here, here is my favorite John Condon. Uh, credit that basket to Walt Frazier. That was goaltending. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, that's good. Very good. Credit that basket to Bill Bradley. That was goaltending. That's funny, Pat. That's great. <laughs> I'd forgotten that. That's great. God bless. Okay, bud. Later. Bye. Thank you for listening to Hoop Du Jour with me, Peter Vesey, presented by the National Basketball Retired Players Association. You can listen to all Hoop Du Jour interviews by searching Legends Studios wherever you get your podcasts. 